Awesome. Ryan, can I welcome you up to come and share with us this morning? It's awesome to have you. Thank you for traveling all the way from Cape Town <laughs> to show all the way. And um, in this wonderful rainy weather, can I pray for you? And then let go. Yeah, thank you, Father, just for the gift of uh, church partners, Father, of Common Ground, who's a, a brother in arms, God. We're doing this thing together of uh, pushing back darkness and bringing light together into our various contexts, Father. And I pray your blessing over Ryan as he preaches your word this morning faithfully. God, I pray that it would br- uh, bear fruit in each of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Great. Well, good morning, everyone. Great. So good to see you. To those of you who don't know us, It is a privilege to be here at One Hope. We love this church, and there's actually a number of people sitting here that are dear to us and have been dear to us over many years. Uh, Some who were students in Common Ground and now found themselves relocating to here. Others that have just been friends uh, of ours in ministry for years and years. I got saved here. Did you just say Yes, those Common Grounders we sent here, and you guys got them saved. That was amazing. Thank you for doing that, uh, for helping us, but a real privilege to be brothers and sisters in the larger family of God. And so coming into a space like this morning, I hope that you'll be able to receive from a brother what I feel like God wants to not just say to us, but what God wants to charge us with. And And I'm trusting that this morning as we share And as we look to God's word, we'll sense a little bit of him putting some steel in our bones and calling us with great conviction to his purposes in our generation, in our day, and in our age. And I'm trusting for God to do way more than just kind of tantalize us intellectually. That is not the route we're going. But that God would call us to be men and women of purpose that God would call us to be men and women who, who walk in step with the Spirit and participate in what God's doing right here in Stellenbosch. So I'm super excited about that. I'm excited to have the privilege of uh, ordaining Nathan onto this eldership team. I'm so excited by what just happened there with all of these new members coming in. And you'll see we're going to get there in the text today. God's purpose for all of you, saints, brothers, and sisters, the priesthood of all believers in the context of the church. And so trust for that uh, together. But I also want to say, just before I get going, thank you, One Hope Church, for being a faithful lampstand here in Stellenbosch. We have the privilege of being kind of partners in a movement of churches in the world called Advance. And, and I want to say thank you for sending your leaders and sending your resources and teaming with us when we do next generation leaders camps. And Paul has come and served in leading some of those. And you guys have, have sent people from this community to, to bless and serve beyond yourself, even while you remain faithful to what God's called you to here. And so I want to commend this church, and I want to say we love these leaders. And like Bates said, many of us go back many years, and it's been great to get to know Johannes and Ali and, and, and Paul and Kate to become dear friends over time because God's knit our hearts together in his purposes. So hopefully this morning I can stir you, charge you a little bit on behalf of King Jesus. So what we're going to do is we're going to turn to the book of Ezra. It may not be a book well known to you. It's a book, a restoration book. We're going to just work through the first five 
verses of this book, and I've titled this sermon, When God Steps In, because my hope is to charge you, but I, my, my greater hope is that you would find yourself coming into alignment with the purposes of God. And so when God is on the move, when God is active, we see him pulling all of us in to those purposes and see his promises fulfilled. We're just going to gonna work through the first five verses. Uh, a very wise man, Nigel Day-Lewis, said these words years ago, and I regularly try and charge our church. And when we come to Scripture, let's make sure that our hearts are in the right place with regards to God's Word. Can I encourage truth and grace to our lives? And I think in our day and age, it's so easy for us to just come and want to sit in judgment over God's word. But I believe the posture is to come and sit under it. So in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled. The Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all of his kingdom and also put it in writing. Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord, the God of heaven has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Whoever is among you, Of all his people, may his God be with him. And let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and rebuild the house of the Lord, the God of Israel. He is the God who is in Jerusalem. And let each survivor in whatever place he sojourns be assisted by the men of his place with silver and gold, with goods and with beasts, besides freewill offerings for the house of God that is in Jerusalem. Then rose up the heads of the fathers' houses of Judah and Benjamin and the priests and the Levites, everyone whose spirit God had stirred to go up to rebuild the house of the Lord that is in Jerusalem. God, we thank you for your word. And we ask that you would cause it to be to us this morning, that waterfall of grace. And is not even on the side of the people of God. See, when I come to that text and maybe not having done the work, I'm like, oh, King Cyrus, he was obviously the king of the people in that moment. But the truth is, he wasn't at all. Cyrus the Great is the Persian conqueror of their Babylonian conquerors. So if you look back in in church history a little bit, uh, um, 722 BC, the northern tribes, the kind of kingdom of Israel, are conquered by the Assyrians. And then you have the two kind of um, southern tribes, and they the kingdom of Judah, and they get conquered. And about 140 years later, in 586, they get conquered by King Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians, and they get taken into exile. And they're in exile, and then about 36 years later, after they've arrived in this exile, what happens? We see here this great King Cyrus that's being spoken about, the Persian king coming to conquer the Babylonians who had exiled this, the people of God. Does that make sense? Yeah. So they, they, they're being conquered by their Babylonian conqueror's conqueror. And yet, and yet, 
And, and guys, let me just say this. This is, this is not bedtime stories. I, I was just in, in London two weeks ago, and we were trying desperately to get to the British Museum because in the British Museum are artif- artifacts, artifacts, artifacts from this very same Persian King Cyrus, the great King Cyrus. At the time, he was the most powerful leader, most probably in the world, definitely in the recorded known history worlds. And, and so he is this Persian, non, not part of the people of God. And yet, what do we see? We see that even though he's not on the side of the people of God, God uses him. Why? Why does God use him? Well, the answer is found in the next words. That the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled. This is point one. God speaks. One Hope Church, God is a God who speaks. The second point is God is committed to his promises and his purposes. God is faithful. God speaks and God is faithful. And I would hope that if you find yourself as a Christ follower and you've been journeying with God for any amount of time, I don't have to remind you that God is a God that speaks. But I find that it is something that we do have to remind ourselves of because so often we, we forget And so often we're inclined to just choose our own way, like, oh, there's a decision before me. I think this is the best way. No, no, no. God, you're a God that speaks. And this is a moment where I need direction. Lord, won't you be the God who speaks in my life? God has declared his plans and his promises, both general and specific. And he's committed to them. God is not a man, Scripture says, that he can lie. When he says, these are my plans, then he is faithful to see those plans fulfilled. And God had promised here to rebuild the temple through the prophet Jeremiah. And now God is in a most unlikely moment. Just think about it. We've had it hard through COVID, right? Everybody hates the kind of last two years that we've been through. There's been difficulty on all sides, and I don't want to belittle that. But think about these guys. For 37 years, they've been drug away from where they were. Their place has been ruined. They've been taken away into exile. And just as they're settling into exile, what happens? They get conquered by an even stronger nation. And in the pressure of all of that, what could you imagine goes through the hearts and minds of men and women as the people of God as they see another even stronger army moving in on their lives? Oh my goodness. Really? We've just got over the last time we were conquered. And now the bigger, badder guys are coming. And in this most unlikely moment that the promises of God can be fulfilled to the people of God, God moves in. God moves in. And as the people of God, this should be encouraging to us, right? It should be encouraging to you wherever you find yourself today. The circumstances of your life, the challenges you're facing, the things you're trusting God with today. May the circumstantial reality not diminish your understanding that God is a God who speaks and that he is faithful to fulfill his promises and his purposes. Circumstances shouldn't change our understanding of this. This should remind us that no political power, no king, no economy, no virus, no setbacks, or evil intent of people will prevent God from achieving and fulfilling his promises and his plans. We need to, as the people of God, remind ourselves of these deep truths. 
Yes, at times it can feel like chaos. Anybody had any chaos in their life? It can feel like that, right? We might feel that our circumstances are completely dire. We might even feel out of control, but God is ultimately in control. The most powerful king of the known time right there bows to the plans and the purposes of God. How often do we find ourselves a doubting people? How often do we find ourselves a forgetful people? This is God's charge to his people so many times throughout the Old Testament. May we not be like those people. God, will you really do what you promised? May we not doubt, does he really have us in his hands? God is always faithful to his promises. Sometimes he may not come through for us exactly as we would hope, right? Sometimes he may not come through for us in exactly the timing that we would hope. How many of us have heard of the 11th hour God? There's a reason why God's got this name, and personally, I would like to call him the 1159 God, right? Because so often it is just in his time, not in our time, that he acts, and sometimes he doesn't actually give us what we desire and long for, maybe because it's not his best for us, but none of these things should cause us to doubt that He is a God that is faithful to His plans and His promises. Commentators say that one of the key reasons for this book of Ezra being written was to attest to the faithfulness of God, to attest to the faithfulness of God amongst His people. Let me ask you, One Hope Church, which of the promises of God upon this community? And upon your life, do you need to be reminded of this morning? What has God spoken? What has God spoken into the life of this community? As God adds leaders and as God adds new members to this community and and in that we can attest to his plans and purposes, why would God be adding these people if he doesn't have plans and purposes for them to be deployed to kingdom purpose? What are some of the promises that this may even be fulfilling? in the life of this community. What do we need to be reminded of? Obviously, there are many things that God says to every church through his word, and you guys would be included in that, but what are some of the specifics that God has kind of commissioned and and declared over this community? I think we need to freshly bring those to mind, remind ourselves of God's promises because we can hold his faithfulness to in these things we can hold to an, a hope and an understanding that he will be faithful what about your life promises that have been sp- spoken over your life maybe today is a time to freshly again hold those out before god god you declared this what does it mean for me to trust your faithfulness And for you to see these things fulfilled, what does it mean for me to trust your timing in these matters? These are deep works as God speaks to us. In the late 1670s, a very famous, most probably uh, second most read book in all of history, only to the Bible, The Pilgrim's Progress, was written. And John Bunyan writes the story of a man. It's an allegory, right? Which kind of means like a picture, a a similar picture to what's happening in the world. And and he writes the story of of an adventurer called Christian. 
And Christian has got a friend, and his, his friend's name's Helpful. And Christian and, hey, Helpful. And, and Christian and Helpful, the two of them, they find themselves going on this story, right? On this traveling journey. And they're going from the city of destruction to the celestial city. It's a picture of going from this broken world to, to heaven. And they find themselves uh, journeying. And his friend, called, uh, his friend called Hopeful, sorry, you're right. His, his friend called Hopeful uh, and him, they get taken captive, right? Um, they get taken captive by this giant, and the giant's name is Despair, and guess where he locks them up? In the castle called Doubting Castle. The giants of Despair takes Christian and Helpful, and he locks them in Doubting Castle until they begin to pray, and as they pray, Something beautiful happens. Listen to this quote. What a fool Christian is speaking. He says, what a fool I have been to lie like this in this stinking dungeon when I could have just as well walked free. In my chest pocket, I have a key called promise that will, I am thoroughly persuaded, open any lock in Doubting Castle. Then said Hopeful that this is good news, my good brother. Do immediately take it out of your chest pocket and try it. Then Christian took the key from his chest and began to try the lock of the dungeon door. And as he turned the key, the bolt unlocked the door and the door flew open with ease so that Christian and Hopeful immediately came out. What did John Bunyan understand here? He understood that God's promises are like a key in our lives. And doubt is the enemy of God's promises, and yet God's key of promise is the key that can unlock our doubts and set us free from Doubting Castle, to walk in more of the purposes of God. And I think doubt is a disabler in our time and in our age. And we are a people of faith. We are a people of hope. We are people that hold out for the faithful God to be the one who fulfills his plans and his purposes and his promises. Let's continue in the passage. The Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all of his kingdom and also put it in writing. Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord... The God of heaven has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has charged me to build him a house of Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Now what we start to see here is we see how God goes about accomplishing his purposes as he steps in. As God steps in, he is a God that speaks, and he's a faithful God, faithful to his promises and purposes. But now we start to see how God Acts, when God moves in, what does he do? The first thing I want to point out here is that when God wants to act, God catalyzes his purposes by stirring up the hearts of a leader or leaders. Do we see that? God gets hold of Cyrus, not even part of the people of God, and and he charges him. He uses those words. God has charged me. And it happens in so many other scriptures Throughout the, the, uh, so many other texts throughout the scriptures that God, when he wants to achieve his plans and his purposes, he gets hold of the hearts of leaders and he charges them. 
He charges them. And I just love it. I'm not sure if you see it here, but I'm a person who gets stirred. See, I start crying when I watch the Mighty Ducks movies. Why? Why do I start crying in the Mighty Ducks movies? Because I see their courage and I see their conviction and they're willing to go up against the bad guys and nothing's going to hold them back. And they, they charge each other. Come on, guys, we can do it. And I'm busy watching them. I'm like, this is so amazing. We can do it, Mighty Ducks, right? Yeah, sorry, I don't know what the current movie is. That's about 30 years old. But But he directly says these things that show us where he gets his courage and his conviction from. He says, the Lord, the God of heaven has charged me to build. And I think we need more leaders in the kingdom of God that, that operate out of this kind of courage and conviction. That they understand that God has put a charge in our hearts to build and to participate in his plans and purposes. Of course, we're dealing with King Cyrus, the most powerful man at the time, right? So he had a bunch of things going on for him. Uh, he could have just said, this is what I want. And, and, but no, that's not where he finds his conviction. That's not what, even where he finds his courage and his determination. Listen to that verse. Whoever is among you, verse 3, of all his people... May his God be with him and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and rebuild the house of the Lord, the God of Israel. He is the God who is in Jerusalem. And we see three things here about Cyrus's confidence to lead and call God's people to participate in the work. Firstly, it's clear that Cyrus himself sees these as God's people. It says his people. Secondly, he also knows that they... God's people will see this as God's work. This is not Cyrus's work. This is God's work. And then thirdly, he knows that ultimately God will be with them. May his God be with them. Cyrus finds a confidence in these things. Next time we see Paul or Bates or Johannes or uh, any of the guys stand up here, Nate stand up here and, and call us to some things. Church, may we receive those invitations and those calls to participate in the purposes of God, not as man's call upon our life, but as God's call upon our lives. We get welcomed in, we get invited into the purposes of God, but so often God will use leaders to call us to those purposes. My hope is they'll do so in a confidence of knowing that you are God's people, not theirs. They will do so, hopefully having a confidence that you will see these invitations as God's work primarily before it's any one hope work. And that they will all, all of us, know that God is ultimately the one who's with us and goes before us. Again, this should be so encouraging to us as God's people. On this, I just want to tell you one story. See, 10, this September, 10 years ago, I was asked to start leading Common Ground at Rondebosch, which is our original church. We then planted some church, churches out. But, but when I was asked to lead, I felt as I stepped into that leadership assignment that there was this piece of land next to our building that was completely underutilized. And I felt like it was a stewardship issue that we hadn't invested in the serving of the next generation, our young people, as well as we could have. 
And so I kind of got before God and I felt him just really placing this conviction in my heart. Then I got before our leaders and we chatted with them and everybody carried the same conviction. Yes, we should go after building a building project on this empty piece of land and let's serve the next generation. We're right like you guys, right in the hearts of Schoolville where we are, right? And so we went to the church and we pitched this vision and it had a substantial price tag to it and God worked in people's hearts and it was amazing. And I'd never done this as a, a youngish leader, kind of had to go to people and say, I believe God's calling us to something and now we all get to participate in that, right? But God moved amazingly and about 60% of the total project came in and when we went past the 50% mark, we as an eldership team had agreed that we would start building. And, and we did, and about 60% came in initially. And then it took us about eight, nine months to build that uh, facility, and the money just dried up. And we moved from 60% of the project fund to about 70% of the project fund over about nine months. So in the first month or two, like 60% came in. And I remember over those months trying to be a faithful, strategic leader, and standing in front of our people and saying, hey guys, here's where we are, here's my clever graphs and all those kinds of things about where we are and here's the faith gap and we still trust in God to move and he's going to move through you because he doesn't have a wallet but you do and you know, all of these, all these kinds of things. And, and did my very best as a leader. And on about the fifth or sixth time of doing that, I just I kind of just felt like, okay, I'm, I'm done and I remember really, in a sense, trying to charge our people out of my own leadership ability and strength because I had felt, even though having 70% of it paid off was amazing, I had felt God say, he had spoken to me very clearly and said that we were going to pay this off before we opened the door. And that's not the kind of thing that you just kind of flaunt out there, but it was a hope that I carried in my heart because I felt like God had spoken. And I remember getting down off the stage and has finished that and preached a message. Can't remember where we were at that time. But got down, got in my car, and as I got in my car, I had what I call a man tantrum. Do you know what a man tantrum is? It's when you like hit your steering wheel quite frustrated, and I'm like, I am done, Lord, I'm done. I am not a fundraiser, I am a pastor, and I'm not asking a single person for another penny. I'm done. And all I remember God saying was something along the lines of, are you, are, you, are you done? Are you quite finished having your man tantrum? That was the sense I got, right? I didn't hear God say that audibly, but it was the sense I got. Anyway, I was very frustrated and a little bit depleted as a leader. But I'd come to the end of my own capacity for trying to stir the people. The next day, one of the elders phoned me. He said, Ryan, are you sitting down? So I said, why? He said, you know so-and-so. Now, let me give you a bit of context for so-and-so. So-and-so, so-and-so didn't come to church regularly, right? And he said, so-and-so phoned me this morning, and he said, I was sitting in church, and just to give you an idea of how infrequently so-and-so comes to church, he said, I hadn't heard about the building project. Now, remember, we've been, we pitched this thing for three months, and then we've been building for nine. So, so-and-so's most probably not been to church in a year, Right? He says, while I was sitting in church yesterday, I felt God say that that last 30% was my burden to carry. So what is 30% exactly? (laughs) And we gave him a big figure with lots of zeros at the end. And he said, God's told me it's my burden to carry. So where do you want it? And inside of 48 hours from when I got to the end of my leadership ability, God got to the beginning of his. And that building was completely paid off. 
And that has given me as a leader such confidence to stand in front of our people and go, you are not our people, primarily as leaders. You are God's people. And this is God's work. And my faith, and I believe the faith of this eldership team, is that you see him as worthy of the work. And you give your best when the leaders call you forth because this is not their work and you are not their people. You are God's people and this is his work. My own personal lesson. This is when I can't see through my tears to my notes, but we continue. How are your conviction and confidence levels, leaders of One Hope Church? What has God promised and spoken into the life of this church? Where might the conviction levels in your own life be low? Can I encourage you not to find a conviction and a confidence within yourself, but to look to God and to look to what He is doing, to hold on to His promises? God loves it when we're dependent upon him. But can I then also invite you, leaders of this community, to find your confidence and your conviction in him. The Lord, the God of heaven, has charged you to build the church in Stellenbosch, which is in the Western Cape. That's how that verse goes for this church. And we need to own it in our hearts. Many people are going to come to a knowledge of God right here in this community. Many people will be saved from an eternal separation from a loving God because of your willingness to participate and carry this charge. God doesn't want us to cower away in Babylonian exile. We see in this story not everybody ended up leaving Babylon and going back to be a part of building. Some people are like, no, it's quite comfortable here, and they stayed. Let's look at the final step and how God goes about accomplishing his purpose. Yes, he speaks. Yes, he's faithful. Thirdly, he catalyzes his purposes by stirring up the hearts of leaders. But listen to this. Fourthly, the purposes of God are actually achieved when the people rise up and build. Then rose up the heads of the fathers, houses of Judah and Benjamin, and the priests and the Levites, everyone, everyone whose spirit God had stirred to go, up and to rebuild the house of the Lord in Jerusalem. I personally love this. What do I love about this? See, in a kind of more autocratic kind of environment, we might find ourselves just saying, okay, no, God's spoken to the leaders. The leaders are now told us, and now we must just go and do. But what does God do? What we see, does someone have a tissue for me? If you can find one. Uh Uh-huh. Can someone get a tissue out of here for me? Because I know those things. Those things are demonic really thank you God doesn't just tell the leaders and the leaders tell the people it says here all of those who the spirit of God had stirred up to go see God works in his people there's a reason that the New Testament calls us the priesthood of all believers Because we get to participate in the purposes of God. We live in in that kind of new covenant era where it's not just one or two priests who get to do the work of God. No, we all get to participate in the work of God. And and I wonder today, what might it look like to see a, a stirred up One Hope people? What might it look like? What does it look like for you to be stirred up by the Spirit of God and the purposes of God? 
I think all too often in the churches that I get to participate in and view, there's a fair amount of people who are happy to kind of play religious Christianity, attend, tick the boxes, go through the motions. Guys, can I beg us, can I beg us that we would not settle for then anything less than the Spirit of the living God stirring us up in the fullness of His purposes? Maybe I can ask you, what are you stirred up about in life? I see Paul wearing his Liverpool scarf. Sorry about that then. What, what, what do you get stirred up about? What gives you a natural surge of energy and desire to go and make something happen? Is it your career? Is it a relationship status that you are looking for? Is it your future? None of these things are wrong, right? But we know from history how the story goes. Whenever we, we chase after these things, we find ourselves settling in way less than God's best for us. That's the invitation of this, is that we would find ourselves allowing the Spirit of God to stir us up. I want to tell you another quick story. So I grew up in a small town not too far from here called Wellington, in the Art van die Boerland. And when I was growing up in Wellington, I was forced to go to church on a Sunday in my school bikey. And we, in our uniform, got filed down single file, and a... And a a fight broke out between the two towns. And it was, it was a racially charged fight. And it, it was a hard thing for a 15, 16-year-old, 15-year-old boy to witness. But it was brutal, right? And this fight was brutal. And the next morning, I went to church still a little bit kind of perplexed by what I had seen. And I saw a man walk into the church and kind of dance around, kind of flaunt his stuff. Say how's it to everyone? And I recognized that man as he came in. I was like, I saw you yesterday. And you were part of that fight. And you were part of the brutality that I witnessed. And he, he wandered down. And he sat down right in the front in the diakon's bunkie. And something broke in me that day. Broke. I said, God, if this is your church... And this is what it's about. I don't want to have anything to do with it. Nothing. I want nothing to do with it. And I remember getting up, already tears in my eyes. You know when, you, when you're shaking from, you're experiencing something and you're shaking. And I was already shaking and I pushed past a whole bunch of the other Corsacians. And I got to the end of the thing and the housemaster tried to... And I literally fought past him push past and I ran and I ran out of the church up the road all the way back to the Corsace and I stood on, sat on the steps and I just cried and cried and I was like I'm done I don't want anything to do with God's church and I remember in a moment five six years later of absolute desperation I was traveling overseas. I'd now finished school. I was 20 years old, and I broke up with my Australian girlfriend. Yes, I don't know what that was about. It was, it was, it was unwise from the beginning, right? 
And I, I broke up with my Australian girlfriend and I was now traveling across the country in America and, and, and I'd been pushed, I'd pushed away from God and I'd pushed away from the church for about four or five years and I found myself in a place of absolute desperation and as I was in absolute desperation, I called out and I said, God, if you're real like my parents say you are, then I need you to make yourself real to me today. And I experienced something on that train from New York to Kansas City, which is a long train. On that train that I had never experienced and to this day have never experienced. I experienced the tangible presence of the love of God just beating in on my life. Physically, I could feel God's love just beating in on my body. And God made himself real to me in that moment. And I felt God say three things to me in that moment. Ryan, this changes everything for your life. I felt like I had a plan about I was going to find rich people and work for them. And then their money was going to work for me. That was my, that was my whole life plan, right? And I felt God say, this changes everything for your life. And secondly, I felt God say, Ryan, there has got to be a greater hope for my church. And I knew that God was linking that moment of his love back to that moment where I'd given up on his body and his church. And guys, let me just say, in case you read into what I'm saying, that I'm anti any church. No, God has restored an amazing love in me for every church because I'd given up on every church. Every kind of church. And, and I feel like God's restored that love. And, and since then, and I felt God say the third thing, he wanted me to participate in being part of building the kind of church that both him and I wanted to be a part of. And I felt God put that in my bones. And as I stand here today, part of this, part of this calling us to be a stirred up people and, and a people who want to build and participate in, in the work of God is actually a call out of the genesis of God reaching into my life and saying, I have got a greater plan and purpose for you and I have a great plan and purpose for my church. And I believe that for this church with all of my hearts. And he's inviting you into it. And you don't need to get so disillusioned with the church like I did. And you don't need to run away for years of your life and waste those and miss out on fulfilling the purposes of God. Learn the lesson from this story that there is a good God and that he is building his church in all its diversity, in all its shortcomings. He is still building something that is beautiful and good. You don't have to give up on global missions. I mean, you don't have to give up on, on your work and things like that and go on global missions. You can arrive at work. You can arrive in your studies. You can, because you are the church. And you can say, God, won't you fulfill your purposes through me? You have to say yes to serving and leading and participating and praying and encouraging. That's what it means to be a part of the purposes of God. I wonder what it looks like in your life to be a stirred up one. Amongst his people. Kate and I have come to believe with all of our hearts that the best place for us to be in is inside the will of God and participating in the purposes of God. We don't mind where we do that. But inside the will of God. What does that look like for your life? We've spoken about how these first few verses of Ezra point to the faithfulness of God. God speaks that he's faithful to his promise and his purpose. We've spoken about these purposes then being fulfilled when God uses leaders to catalyze by conviction and courage. 
And when we see a a people stirred up and rise up, it's my prayer that we would see this happen in One Hope Church as we go forward. What is the danger if we don't see it happen? What is the danger? Let me quickly just look at these. Think about this for a moment. When the leaders and people are stirred up around an issue, but God hasn't spoken, what do you get? A cause-driven church. We need to make sure that God is speaking and He is calling us. What happens when the leaders try themselves to stir up the people, but they don't rely on the Spirit to do that stirring? We get a legalistic church. It's a works-driven church. We need to depend on the Spirit, all of us, to do His deep work in us. What about when the people are feeling stirred, but the leaders aren't leading and catalyzing the work of God? You get a chaotic church and a disunified church. We don't want to be that, right? We need leaders of courage and conviction. And, and there's this beautiful verse in Judges 5, 8 or 8, 5. I can never remember which way it goes. It says, when the leaders lead and the people follow, praise the Lord. Why? In the hearts of God, he sees it a beautiful thing when both of those things are happening. What about when the people are passive or unresponsive, not stirred up? Not getting stuck in. What do we have? We get a frustrated church. Why? Frustration looms large for the people. Leaders, why do you keep bothering me with your agenda? I've got my own life to live. And you get frustrated with the leaders, and the leaders are so frustrated with the dullness of the people. Like, come on, guys, let's go. You get a frustrated church when that's not happening. Let's all allow God to use us in His plans and His purposes. Let's pray together. God, we're so grateful that you are a God that speaks. Thank you for your your word and thank you, God, for speaking to us today. And I ask that you would bring us to a place freshly where we understand your promises, that we have them in view, and that we hold out our lives towards those promises. God, you're faithful. You will achieve your purposes. You will fulfill your promises over One Hope Church. There's no doubt in my mind. But God, that is greatly taken forward when leaders take their place to catalyze and where people are stirred up by the Spirit to participate. God, we ask you, won't you come and stir us up today? God, we ask you, won't you come and be amongst us today? just wonder, as we've been speaking about being stirred up people, and if you know that God has plans and purposes, maybe even he's spoken prophetic words over your life, but you know that you have not, in this season of your life, been responding to his purposes. I wonder if you'd be courageous enough to just lift your hand. I'd love to pray for you, but I think there's something in the economy of God for us to physically reach out and say, God, won't you stir me afresh? God, won't you use me for your plans and your purposes? Thank you for those hands. Anybody else that's feeling God saying, yep, Lord, that's me. I'm living in the shallow side of this. Thank you for all of those people. God has plans and purposes for you. You can put your hands down. This is not an altar call. This is a physical representation of the yes in your heart to the purposes of God. 
Many hands. Thank you for all those hands. God, I pray upon these women and these men that you would commission them into your fullness, that they would participate in being a stirred up people for the purposes of God, that there would be a priesthood of all believers dynamic at work here in One Hope Church. Thank you for the gifts that you've given to the church through their lives, and may they more fully deploy them, not just as One Hope and to the activities of One Hope, but as Christ follows and into their worlds. Shining your light so brightly in their places of study and work and family and sports. God, we pray that we would be a fully deployed priesthood for your purpose. You are faithful. May you find us faithful. In Jesus' name. Amen.